I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. This is another beautiful episode. We talk about everything from what young children are absorbing and internalizing when adults are talking about diet, fat culture, needing to lose weight. We talk about how as humans, we point the finger at ourselves as opposed to looking out at the world of diet culture. There's nothing wrong with us. Diet culture has made us feel this way. And we also talk about how it has become almost impossible to peel apart weight and health when it comes to our medical system. So much to listen to. Let's just jump right in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am really excited to introduce all of you to today's guest. Today, we have Tara Whitney. Tara, welcome to the show. Karen, I'm so excited for this conversation. I've been I've been so excited about this, thinking about it for days and weeks, and I'm just I'm so glad we're doing it. There's so much to talk about. Tara, tell the listeners about yourself because the work you do is really beautiful. Oh, thank you for that. I I work with people to help them free their minds around food and ultimately be able to trust their bodies. And I do that um, with an, an intuitive eating approach because I'm a certified intuitive eating counselor. And... Um, and you know, you know, like, have you ever looked back on your life and been like, oh my gosh, all of this makes so much sense. That is where I am right now. Um, and where I have been for the last few years is, you know, I, I started my career as a certified public accountant working in, in Boston and, uh, And then I just really followed the breadcrumbs through yoga and mindfulness and uh, energy and Reiki practices. And then all of a sudden it all kind of came together and I realized that um, I was just meant to offer folks what I had to learn for myself in my own healing and my own recovery. This is why I say to people, it's not like, don't look at the end goal. 
follow your heart, just keep moving forward on a path and your own self will guide you to where you're supposed to be. And that's exactly what you did, right? Well, I did. And please don't get the impression that that was a smooth journey. Never is. No, it was, uh, you know, me sharing it like the way I just did may sound like, oh, she just stumbled into one thing and then the next. I mean, I have this perspective now, but it certainly took a lot of twists and turns along the way in order for me to get here. Yeah. Can you share a little bit of your story that got you to this place? Yeah. Um, you know, firstly, I just want to make sure folks understand or just let them know, you know, I, I started emotionally eating when I was 12 and my, um, my mom who, uh, had her own, you know, at the time was going to overeaters anonymous and she, um, didn't have a sitter for my brother and I, and actually brought us to meetings where we would sit in the back of the room and, um, you know, Karen, I didn't realize how impactful that was on me until I had already found intuitive eating until I already had really come into a, a better, healthier place in my relationship with food. And then it, I realized like, wow, I've been working these food rules that I got from OA from when I was a, like in middle school, maybe even younger than that. And those rules just were, they just were, they were just true. You know, um, they were, they were true. It was true that certain foods were dangerous and certain foods would really harm people and that there always needed to be a sense of control around food. And um, just having that awareness and kind of walking down memory lane and understanding how that informed so much of my struggles with food was really helpful for me. I don't mean to interrupt and I'll do it through the whole interview. It's just who I am. I'm sorry. Sure. This is where kids, children, little minds that are just, oh, they're just like listening to everything. This is where things get planted. And often, not intentionally, your mother had no intentions for you to get these messages planted in your mind. When we are sitting around the table and kids are in the living room and we're talking about calories and can I eat that or should I go to the gym, they're hearing it and internalizing it. Yeah. And how can we, it's so normalized. And I think that there's even part of that conversation that I thought, well, it's okay that. I worry about too much sugar. It's okay that I worry about too many like white bread or, or what have you. And it really took me just going deeper into my own healing and to realize like, oh, wait a second. I understand how, when I'm demonizing food and giving them so much um, power that that is, that's holding me back from really feeling free around food. And that's, and that, that I think is so, that's been a big part of my journey. And that's what I, where I love taking my clients to get into that place. So 
how did you yourself, you, you know, we're talking first when you were younger and you were sitting at OA meetings in the back, back of the room to intuitive eating. And I think we miss a little bit in the middle. So share a little bit about how you got to intuitive eating and, and things like that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was, it felt like I was on, like, this was all, this was a hundred percent of what I needed to fix. I had to fix my weight. I had to fix my body. I had to get into control. I had to be in control around food. And so high school, college, my early professional days, it was just, it was, it was always a struggle. Um, I used exercise a lot to manage my weight. Um, I ran on the cross country team in college and was always an athlete, even when I, um, in my mid-20s, I started triathloning. So I was biking a lot, running a lot, swimming a lot. And um, I saw a lot of therapists, nutritionists, folks that I thought could help me get over the, the overeating, the binging, the just feeling like something was just so wrong. And so that went on for decades. It really did. And, and I couldn't name it. I could only look at myself and think it must be me. It, it must be something I've done. Maybe it was because my childhood was so tumultuous or, you know, kind of pointing a finger at myself that somehow I was the, I was the link around all of this. And you know, yoga was a really important start with that because even though I was going, which most people, a lot of people go to yoga for the um, the workout and the athletics of it. And that's what drew me to it. But it just worked its magic. It like, it just worked its magic. <laughs> and, um, and then I don't even, I can't even remember how I found intuitive eating, but I just ordered the book on the Amazon. I thought, oh, this sounds good. This sounds like something I haven't tried yet. It sounds like what you were doing was slowly creating a path of letting go of all the external noise, all the external messages, all the things that you see, you were seeing and slowly walking down a path of learning to trust intuition, internal cues, internal self-dialogue, which is not an easy place to get to. And I, what are your thoughts about that? I don't know if that resonates with what I was Yeah, saying. thank you for bringing that out. I mean, it's so important to me. And... Um, I find that the lessons keep coming. <laughs> it's like, oh, I thought I was listening to my body. Oh, wait, here's another opportunity for me to listen even deeper and listen with more compassion for myself. Um, yeah, I, I love the way you presented that because I was all about how can I be someone that's lovable 
how can I be someone that you look up to or maybe like, you know, so a lot of where I butted up against myself was in this like real overworking, overachieving, needing to be, um, you know, the, the, the student that got all the A's needing more in college, but needing to be like the best performer when I was working in public accounting and then in corporate accounting and just always that sense of like, let, let me let external cues inform how I feel about myself. And that included the number on the scale. It's so one of the things that I've talked about before in the past is when I was in my eating disorder, I felt so awful inside. Yet, because we live in such a diet culture, we're, we're so diet obsessed and, and, and thin privilege and whatnot. And because people were giving me praise for having control. Oh, you have so much control. I wish I had the same kind of control you did, which by the way, they didn't because they were still really enjoying their food. Like it's almost like something you say just to say, people were like, how did you lose weight? How are you doing this? And again, it's these external validations, which is so dangerous because then we want more and more and more. And I've said before, I always thought if enough people tell me I look good, I'm doing good, I am good, then I will feel good. And good is just one of the adjectives I was looking for, right? Yeah, accepted, yep. loved. Um, and and there was something always so fleeting around it. Like, ooh, I don't think I'm going to be able to hold on to this. Almost like if I was on a jungle gym and I was crossing the monkey bars and I stopped it was like, I, I am not sure if I'm going to be able to hold on. Like, what's going to happen when I can't hold on to this? And I just knew I was going to drop. And, and that felt, to your point about not feeling great, it was like, I just, there was a part of me that knew that everything I was doing wasn't ever sustainable. And that includes how hard I was working, how much I was juggling, just this like level of intensity in my life that was just not, one, it wasn't fun. And it felt like I was always trying to get somewhere that I, I could never stay there. So I know this sounds like a really odd question, but let's take your narrative, what you just said. And I'm imagining there's a lot of people listening right now that are agreeing, resonating, maybe tears are coming down. They, they're saying, yes, 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 that's me. And then they show up at your door. How do you help somebody? And this is a big question. Go from the external to the internal your own body wisdom, to your own, like I said, cues, hunger cues, emotion cues, things like that, because that's the beauty of what you do, Tara. And that's the essence of what 
what I experience now as a recovered person. And, and that's what I want. When people say, what does recovered feel like? I think that's it. That body wisdom, that internal, I, I, I know I, I have the answers for myself, not for the rest of the world, but for myself. They're not always right. And that's okay too. But so say someone like you shows up at your door where do you begin? Yeah. We live in such a fast paced world. I know. And, and I, you know, it, it's gentle. It's really gentle because it's like, I have to remind myself and I remind my clients, you know, it's a, the muscles there, the muscle is there. It's, it's, it's not only has it been dormant and asleep, You've gone out of your way to not use that muscle because that muscle, as you've said, like recognizing hunger, recognizing fullness, like that hasn't served you when you've been dieting or when you're surviving trauma or when you're overridden with strong emotions and you don't know how to care for yourself. Um, and that there's no judgment there. It's just recognizing that the body isn't always a safe place for people. But I think what can often help, and this is what really helped me, is I try to give them a context around how they got to where they got. Because so much of my struggle came from oh, I must be doing this wrong. Everybody else isn't doing, isn't struggling the way I'm struggling. There must be something wrong with my makeup, um, my genetic makeup or my body or something, right? So I kept, as I said, I kept pointing the finger toward myself. But then when I started to understand what diet culture was, and then I understood the impact that dieting had, like that was a real education for me because I didn't even call what I was doing dieting. And then what I'm exploring more and more, so probably two other things is I'm looking at things from a patriarchal lens, which is an important thing for men and women. And I'm looking at, you know, we talk about the nervous system. And so as I've understand those four things, I've been able to just like sit back and like have a sigh of relief because I can then see how I got to this place and it was nothing that I was doing wrong. In fact, I can see how I was doing everything right. And so when I talk to my clients, it's like, there's this constant going back, like see how brilliant your body was. Like, oh yes, you you just you just binged and I understand how painful that is. But now that we've talked about it, can you see how brilliant your body was in caring for you? And then when we talk about dieting, it's like, oh, I just can't seem to stay on this diet. And then when we talk about the 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 components of dieting, and it's like, can't you see how brilliant your body was when it overate? Like, that's freaking fantastic that your body is so magical. Like, just wouldn't tolerate such a small amount of nourishment. And it knew how to make sure that it did its best. It's doing its best to keep you in balance. 
And, and that I think has been a nice starting point for folks. And then, and then of course I'm peppering them all the time, you know, like, how's your body feeling right now? Let's talk about what kind of cues your body should, like, it's this constant, you know, little dance, light, uh, just maybe getting, uh, inviting folks to recognize that the signals are really signals. Well, that's also when people say, you know, I don't like to feel certain emotions like anger or sadness or frustration or hunger. And I say, those are important signals. They're telling you something. They're either telling you that you're hungry or that you're in danger. That's why you're scared or someone's done something to you or something's happened. That's why you're angry. Like we can't keep walking through life, ignoring all these signals, right? Well, people do for sure. I mean, I, I know that was, that was what I was doing and what it does is, um, it sets us up for a very muted life, right? Like if you think about like, like a kaleidoscope with these beautiful colors and richness and, you know, or like there's so much vibrancy there. And, and when there's this avoidance or an unwillingness to just be in our, the experience of our bodies, it's like, oh, so much gets opened up and it's like expansive in that, in that awareness. And I think that's, what's really cool. That's what's amazing about the wisdom of our bodies. Yeah. It's incredible. Can you explain to listeners what a certified intuitive counselor, what, what is it that you do? How do you help clients? Like share a little bit about that because it, it is, it is powerful. Hmm. No, intuitive eating, thankfully, is getting um, and has gotten some really great, uh, it's coming more front and center, it's getting some some visibility that um, it hasn't gotten in the past, same same as health health at every size, that's getting more and more visibility, but but intuitive eating is a non-diet-based approach that has 10 principles, and it is um, evidence-based, which means it's been heavily researched. So Evelyn Triboli and Elise Fresh, the two founders, um, they didn't trademark intuitive eating. So they basically said, you know, we've got this body of work. It's called intuitive eating. It has 10 principles. Um, the hub of intuitive eating is eating to satisfaction. And as a result of the way they brought the material into out to the world, a lot of researchers jumped on and said, let's try it with the eating and eating disordered population. Let's try it with college students. Let's try it here. And they just started to see over and over again how, um, how effective it is in allowing people to get to really create health and change their eating patterns and be able to just get their life's their life back from their struggles with food. And so as a certified intuitive eating counselor, I've I've studied under that um, under that body of work. And that is one of the foundations that I use when I work with folks. 
And so I would also imagine that that can be a terrifying prospect for people. I don't know if prospect's not the right word, because there is this fear that we cannot trust our bodies, that we are not, we do not have body wisdom. And so if I eat intuitively, what is it going to look like? And so how do you help clients with that concept and also, you know, and this is on all ends of the spectrum. I've had clients that I'm working with, with, you know, restrictive eating disorder, and they say, intuitively, I just want a, this small thing for the day, whatever. It, that's what I want intuitively, Karen. And I think, mm, not, mm, you, you might, your, your brain has convinced you of that. That's not actually accurate though. And, and so how do you help people? Because it is challenging for people that are on a, that are used to a meal plan, which by the way, I'm not discounting meal plans because how do you help them with that? It seems overwhelming mm. at times. Oh, it, it absolutely is. It is. And, and you know, it's, um, I look at the approach, which is a non-diet based approach, which means when we look at foods, we look at them with, a, with, with a lens of like neutrality, which means no food is good. No food is bad. It's, it's what we call emotionally equivalent. All foods are emotionally equivalent. And that can be this huge, like people have a really hard time with that idea because we've been told from diet culture over and over that there are certain foods that not only will reduce inflammation or maybe help you lose weight, but they're life-giving foods, they're healthy foods. Um, and we know which foods naturally, you know, are detractors. And, and like, we've been told that over and over and over again. So that can be a really big shift for folks to even open up to the idea. And, you know, the conversation that I generally will have is, you know, what happens when you have a favorite food that might be a bad food and you eat it? Do you enjoy it? Do you I, do you feel guilty after you eat it? Like, is it a, is it, is it an experience that really opens up like, oh, I really love this kind of food. I know I shouldn't have it. And then you get to enjoy it. Or is it, do you feel so guilty that that guilt takes you so out of your body and you either end up maybe eating more than you would have liked, or you feel so guilty that um, you end up restricting more. So it's kind of recognizing that the neutrality of the food creates freedom in the experience of the food. And that's the most important thing. I constantly choose which foods I want to eat based on how I feel and how I want to feel. But, they're, but by making them neutral, I get to fully enjoy and be in the experience of eating. And that's what I want for my clients. I don't think that people understand what full freedom, food freedom feels like. And mm -hmm. Tara, as someone who has suffered from an eating disorder, and as someone who is still living in this culture 
with the keto diet and the calories on the menu and all this stuff. I, I, I feel, and this is going to sound, I feel like I'm on top of the world because mm-hmm. I have food freedom. I don't think about yeah. calories. I don't, I, I literally, I remember when I was in my eating disorder and I would look at a menu or I would say to clients, we take them out for, for, for lunch outings and we would say to them, you're not allowed to look at this part of the menu, which is like, say all salads, whatever it is. And we're not demonizing salads, but what happens is, is we have all this wonderful food that's available to us, but we stay stuck in this one part that we feel safe with. It is, there is nothing better than looking at a menu and saying, what do I feel like right now? Hmm. Oh, yeah. I want that. That's how I feel. Yeah. I, I get giddy. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I get giddy. Like I got like, oh, this, you know, I just, even eating breakfast this morning, I just, I, I just dropped in and I was like, mm, I'm, I'm just so satisfied. And I looked at what was still on my plate. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. And I made that choice. And then, I mean, besides talking to you about it now, I moved on with my life. I moved on with my day. I moved on with all of the things that I wanted to put my attention around and didn't have to think or worry. And, and that for me, when I was really struggling, food was on my mind all of the time. It was every, it was the moment I woke up. It was the moment I, you know, put my head on, on my pillow and fell asleep. It just, it just took so much of my time and, and energy. What do you find are some beginning steps that people can take to start body trust, listening to body wisdom, intuitive eating, things like that? Yeah. Sometimes, depending on where folks are, it can be helpful to kind of know the price that people have paid. And, and that, that can be hard to really take a look at, you know, it can be hard to, 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 to reflect like, wow, I wouldn't go out socially depending on how I was eating or, you know, or all the, all of like the, the, the just going from one diet to the next, like what, what was the cost? What was the real cost to that? And that can just be an awakening, not to say that you, that people never have to go back to dieting, but just kind of recognize that, that, that with that choice, there's a price that you pay. And that price isn't long-term weight loss, like that price is really, really harmful. And so when it's always the clients that have already come to that conclusion is um, even though there's still plenty of, of work to do, like it's already arriving at that place. So that can be a really big step. Just like I'm, I'm done with dieting. I'm done with dieting, defeating me at every single in, at every single place. Um, and then, um, you know, maybe a simple, you don't have to read a single thing is, um, 
just giving yourself permission to slow down. You know, it's really hard to tune in when people are running a million miles an hour. And I know during the pandemic, um, that has really required people to slow down and slowing down has been hard. But in order to tune into your body, you have to have the practice of slowing down and giving it a chance to share what it wants to share and then giving yourself a chance to, to, to pause and listen. It's so interesting because I know we live in a culture where people don't want to slow down because there's so much to do. I've got too much to do. I can't take time off. I've got so much on my list, blah, blah, blah. And the reality is, is you get more accomplished if you have slowed down, taken care of yourself, fed yourself adequately, thought about, you know, checked in with your body and yourself, and then go back to your task at hand. Like, we seem to think that the more we deprive ourselves of food, of emotion, of all this stuff, and the more we just keep going, 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 the farther we're going to get in our career, the better we're going to be and all the, it's, it's the opposite. At least that has been my experience. It is the opposite. I'm, I'm calling it the old model. Say more. I like that. <laughs> I just, you know, it's just an outdated way of thinking. Like, you know, that's how I'm calling it out. Like, you know, we, we were taught this. I know our parents did it this way. Um, if you've spent any time in corporate America, this is probably the way they're doing things. But you know what? It just doesn't work. It's an old model. It needs updating. Right? Like, let's just call it what it is. Because it's ineffective, only harmful, leading folks to lots of stress, lots of overwhelm. Yeah. Um, the potential for burnout. I also want to say it is uh, it it leads to stress related illnesses that often get put on somebody's eating habits. They say you need to change your diet if you lost weight. Blah blah. That's not the cause of some of these stress related diseases. They are they are from the stress of the environment, the stress that we put on ourselves, the stress from our job. And everyone seems to go to, you should probably lose weight or change the way you're eating. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, thankfully there's some information and some research that's being done around the impact of weight stigma in the healthcare community, but it's really important that we understand that, um, the medical community has just been making this assumption that a thin body is a healthier body and that there's just this foregone conclusion that if if someone that lives in a fat body has some challenges with their health that it must be because about their about their weight and it's really it's painful it's really dismissive it's disrespectful and in some cases it really is very, it, it can be harm, incredibly harmful. And just to be able to uh, realize that this is what's happening, I think can be helpful so that when someone gets a diagnosis you and then talks to their healthcare provider and just being very aware, like, 
hold on, are we talking about the diagnosis or are we talking about my weight? Because those are two very different things. And, you know, when I hear my clients say, well, I had this diagnosis and then I was just told the way I would feel better or it would go away with weight loss is just so harmful, so incredibly harmful. When uh, at the very beginning of the the podcast, um, I had the incredible honor of having Sonia Renee Taylor as a guest on the on the on the show, and she she highlighted it in a really beautiful way. She said she went to a doctor once for say a sore throat or something, and the doctor said you have to lose weight, and she said I'm not here for weight. I'm here for my sore throat. And he said, but you have to, she said, what would you be prescribing a thin person with a sore throat? That's what I want. And then she also said, would you, what's the, would you prescribe somebody with a medication that only has a 5% efficacy rate? Because that's what diets are. 5% efficacy rate. So you're prescribing me something that I'm destined to fail at, then you're going to blame me. Then we're going to be back at this. I mean, it was really, really, it, it highlights so much how we prescribe diets and then eating disorders are created and we blame the person. I mean, it's just this big, it's like going down a rabbit hole, Tara. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, um, I've shared my journey with hip pain and I am having my hip replaced actually in a couple of weeks. And one of the things I started reading around is um, how, and hearing stories about folks in larger bodies who have hip pain, just like me, which, you know, is generally a, a mix of arthritis and a labral tear. And by the way, in those situations, they generally do not heal on their own. That, you know, when, when you have a joint, especially a hip joint, and, you know, I know this is a little bit off topic, but it, the, my point is that um, that is a joint that because there isn't a lot of blood flow in the joint will not regenerate and heal on its own. And so, the, so if going and and wanting to have surgery for folks that are in a bigger body they're often being told by their surgeon that they're at a risk surgeons don't want to operate on them and 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 the go you need to lose weight as a result of this and and the problem is is that um a lot of folks might even want severe want to engage in really severe means to lose weight when really they have a hip joint that needs replacing. They have a hip joint that's not going to heal on their own, regardless of, of what their body weight is. And, and that's the distinction. I mean, I love Sonia Renee Taylor's um, clarity and be, being able to put that question back to their medical provider. But more importantly, it's it's being able, you trying to separate like every, they've just, the medical community has so collapsed weight and health and we need to peel it apart it in and, and what it does is it also praises people for being in certain bodies puts yeah. them in a different status 
And all of it is untrue and unfair and gets us in a really bad place. Yeah. Right. Right. I um, I had a rash of like a month or so ago. So I went to my doctor um, and saw my nurse practitioner and the nurse who was sort of doing the triage was like, well, why don't you step on the scale? Let's get your weight. And I was like, actually, no, thank you. I don't need to be weighed today. And it was like, <laughs> I, I could see her shock. And then she said, well, is it okay if I take your blood pressure? I was like, it, it is. It is okay that you take my blood pressure. But for a skin rash, you really don't need to know my weight. And, and blood pressure, you know, to what, how we started this conversation, Karen, right? Which is like how impactful stress is on our bodies. Well, actually living in a larger body is stressful. And then stress in and of itself is something, you know, my blood pressure would measure. It, it is so true. Your weight had nothing to do with a rash on your body. Right. So... And, and, and I want people to know that they have the right, the power, the voice to say no. You can say no. Nope. I don't need to be weighed for this. I, I, I have a rash. I have a sore throat. I don't need my weight done. Looks like you were going to say you know, something. This is, yeah. You know, this is why trust is so important. And this is also why when I talk about how to get to that trusting place within ourselves. We need to understand all of the factors, all of the influences that taught us how to not trust ourselves. And the reality is, is that the medical community is one of those influences that often tells us, don't trust your body. Instead, trust the surgeon or the provider or the doctor that has all of these letters at the end of their names that should know more about our bodies than we do. And that's simply not true. And so this is just another example of, you know, trusting yourself means that you just understand these factors and then you turn inward and you're like, oh, hold on. I'm having this conversation with my provider. And it just feels like they're blaming me. They're telling me I've done something wrong. They're telling me I'm bad in this really indirect way. This doesn't feel right. And like just trusting in that is a great start because then that voice is what you just suggested around how to be able to have conversations where you advocate for your health that everyone deserves to have. That's how these conversations emerge from that place of trust within ourselves. And I also want to point out when you were in a doctor's office, you're already in a vulnerable place. I know that when I don't feel well emotionally, I'm sorry, physically, emotionally, I'm not as strong. I don't have the same, as my people say, chutzpah, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm, I'm, when I have a fever or I have a cold or I have a sore throat, I, I'm even more vulnerable. So you, typically what happens is when doctors say, or nurses get on the scale, do this, we're just like, okay, okay, okay. We, we get so intimidated because we're already in a depleted place. 
And and I think that that that's you have to build that muscle before going into doctors' offices. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that self awareness of what you need and how to support yourself. I mean that that's a muscle that takes some time, but even naming the boy, I'm feeling um, just some emotional vulnerability or feeling tentatively emotional, like just naming it can be really helpful because then you can call in the support or just recognize uh, how that, how that situation may be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Power, I feel like this interview went by like that. <laughs> And I am aware of the time that we are going to have to start winding down. So before we let, I let you go and I apologize for such an abrupt change, but this is what happens when the conversation's really good and I don't want to end. I'm like, Oh, I just gotta, gotta end it. Gotta do it. So is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to share with listeners or just anything you wanted to say? Well, how much I appreciate you, Karen, and the work that you're doing in the world. You know, it's, uh, I know how speaking up and speaking out around what is so normalized, it, you know, it does take that, as you said, chutzpah, and, um, and bringing that to the table as often as you do. And, having these conversations so that people who want to have a a different relationship with food and a different relationship with their body have a sense of hope and clarity and a path forward. So thank you for all the work that you're doing in the world. It really makes a huge difference. You, you really have no idea what that means to me because this, this is a passion project. This is, I do this because I know what it feels like to suffer. I know what it feels like to silence oneself, to use eating disorder behaviors. And I know what it's like to be recovered. And I know what it's like to use your voice. And I know what it's like to feel your emotions. And so thank you for acknowledging that, Tara. That means a lot. You're welcome. All right, everyone, that does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next time. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast sign up to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.